0: Sense of Tumour. Hello and welcome to the first episode of A Sense of Tumour with me, Angela Young. This series will take you on a journey with me during a six-week course of radiotherapy for a very small residue of a brain tumour which I had removed in 2015. I want to share my experiences with you and be completely honest about what happens when you find out you need radiotherapy following a brain tumour diagnosis. As its title might suggest, my aim is to deal with this with tumour humour. As we all know, laughter is the best medicine. We have a family friend who's a well-known photographer who dealt with his radiotherapy by taking photos during the process. I want to document my experiences through podcasting not only to give me ownership of what I'm going through, but also to provide an account which is honest and open, taking you through doors which are closed unless you become ill. I hope that it might give a bit of support and comfort if you or someone in your family is going through something similar. If you are, please feel free to get in touch. I'm not alone in bringing a new and worrying experience into my own sphere of knowledge. It's what TV presenter Victoria Derbyshire did when undergoing surgery for breast cancer. I asked her if that was why she documented her treatment for television.
1: I had made a decision to um, record my uh, cancer treatment, partly because it it helped me to to feel I was still working as a journalist, and partly because I thought, gosh, if if I don't know really what a mastectomy involves, or chemotherapy or radiotherapy, then maybe other people don't know what it involves either. So if I just record bits of my treatment, then then maybe it will be useful. It was a kind of journalistic project. And I think because I just started working on television then, I think I was really aware of the visual side of things. So I thought right at the beginning, I will I will just hold up these two signs that say, this morning I had breast cancer, this evening I don't, because, because I'd had the surgery and the cancer was out. Obviously there was more treatment to come, but the main uh, area of my treatment was done. And that was such a, a, such a profound point in my life, I suppose, I, I felt that those signs would, would help with the kind of uh, the message, I suppose.:
0: By bringing the treatment, that, that whole unknown into your sphere
1: of experience, did it give you a sense of ownership? I don't know if the documenting of the process necessarily helped me take ownership of it uh what what did take help me take ownership of it was the medical professionals giving me choices giving me a say in the treatment obviously you know when they recommend a mastectomy if you've got breast cancer you're going to say yes I'll I'll take that but for example um obviously you have to have tests on your other breast to check there's no cancerous cells there and uh, my test came back and they they said they were pre-cancerous, which is nothing to worry about. But when you're in that frame of mind, you think, I just said to the the surgeon, oh my God, she'll have a double mastectomy. And then they're both gone and there's nothing to worry about. And he said to me, you know, if you ask me for a double mastectomy, I I will do that for you. But I also have a duty to point out that your other breast is a healthy breast. So he was putting it in my core, if you like. He was giving me that that chance, that choice, which was so powerful and, and important for me when it came to feeling a little bit in control, because when you're diagnosed with a serious illness, suddenly you have no control.
0: And I absolutely agree. Having no control is one of the hardest parts of this. So making this podcast gives me back some of that control. During A Sense of Tumour, you can expect information about the process of radiotherapy recorded during my sessions, interviews with experts, current research, and an honest account of what it's like being a patient. I can't promise how many episodes there will be, as it's going to depend on how my body reacts, but what I do promise is to do as much as I can, and hopefully bring a bit of light to what easily feels a bit dark. Before we begin, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a former BBC radio reporter and newsreader, and now podcast maker, and I live in Cambridge in the UK, where we are very lucky to have Addenbrookes Hospital, part of the Cambridge University Hospital's NHS Foundation Trust. I'm married with two grown-up children, my daughter is living and working in Brighton, managing a really forward-looking innovation hub, and my son's about to start a master's in journalism at the University of Salford. (laughs) The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In 2015, I found out I had a benign meningioma behind my right ear, which had been slowly growing for about 10 years. I'd been having awful headaches and throwing up randomly for about two years and I also had a loud whooshing noise in my right ear, a bit like waves crashing in time to my pulse. Like many women, I had been undiagnosed for a number of years, with my GP putting it down to stress, even though I wasn't, and suggesting I had earwax. My husband called it right, using the family health encyclopaedia we'd been given as a wedding present. Research by the Brain Tumour Charity has shown that women are more likely than men to have made more than five visits to the doctor with symptoms and to wait between one and three years for a diagnosis. One participant in the survey was accused of attention-seeking and another of taking illegal drugs. One was asked, what do you think your symptoms are then, a brain (laughs) tumour? I was eventually diagnosed and had an operation at Addenbrookes to remove the tumour, known as a resection which was a great success. I've been symptom-free ever since. My wonderful surgeon, Helen Fernandez, explained that she'd been able to get all but the last three millimetres out. That was stuck to the meninges, or lining of the brain, and she couldn't get rid of that without getting rid of me in the process. Anyway, I've been having yearly follow-up scans to keep an eye on the residuum, technical term for the leftover bit, and it's been growing slightly. After the scan in 2019, I was told I could give it another year, then decide whether to undergo a course of radiotherapy or just watch and wait. So I had one more scan in July 2020, and then a phone call with consultant clinical oncologist Sarah Jeffries.
2: Hi, Angela. As you know, I'm ringing to talk through with you your recent um, MRI result, which was taken on the 6th of July. Um, And I'm pleased to tell you that um, the images look uh, very similar. Um, The meningioma remnant that we've been following has measured this time as 12 by 11 millimetres. Previously, it was 11 by 11 Mm millimetres. And there were no other areas of concern seen. So it was really to recap that uh, we've talked about this before. And uh, what we're revisiting today is whether we proceed with radiotherapy treatment now um, or to continue with surveillance. And as you know, previously we discussed the fact that the meningioma has been, um, you've had an operation before, but because of the location, further surgical intervention is likely to put you at risk of morbidity from that operation. So that's why we're considering the radiotherapy. The radiotherapy that we're planning to to deliver is, is radiotherapy that's um, given as a fractionated course and the aim of that delivery is to shape it uniquely to you and to try and minimise the side effects that may result from the radiotherapy treatment. And as you do understand, that radiotherapy has a very high chance of preventing further growth of the meningioma Fortunately for us, because of where this is, the short term side effects, so during and for a few weeks after the radiotherapy, are relatively minimal. Most patients who have radiotherapy do get a bit of tarredness, and it's often described as a sort of type of lethargy. Um, you might get um, a little bit of hair loss behind, particularly behind the right ear, but this will be temporary, and with your hairstyle, I doubt it will be noticeable. And the external ear canal can also get a bit sore um, after treatment. And some patients do get, um, if the middle ear fluid is affected, you can get some temporary disturbance in your hearing, which normally settles. In terms of the longer-term side effects, um, it's important that we think about those. And again, fortunately, with the location of where your disease is, these are likely to be very minimal. One of the things that I take uh, great care about is thinking about trying to protect potential harm to your neurocognition which is why we've referred you for a neuropsychological assessment prior to the treatment and we will be sparing dose to the structures in your brain called the hippocampus. The other long-term side effect that I have to explain to you because the meningioma is a benign tumour is that we're using radiation to treat you and we know that a small number of patients worldwide every year do develop tumours that have come about due to radiation exposure But your lifetime risk of that happening is very, very small. And in fact, the risk of inducing radiation malignancy is well below 1% every decade.
0: So just to recap, by having the treatment, there's a minor chance of a radiation-related tumour in 10 to 20 years' time. But not having it means this little blighter will keep growing. So I'll have to deal with it sometime, and sooner rather than later. So it's a no-brainer, right? Oh, sorry, I did warn you. So I've decided to go ahead. Before the treatment begins, Dr. Jeffries sent me for a baseline neurological assessment, or the idiot test as I called it, which I really wasn't looking forward to. It felt like going to sit an exam for which I didn't know the syllabus. Well, I'm here at the R Block of Addenbrooke's Hospital. I'm feeling a bit nervous. And the weather, you could say, is a pathetic fallacy. There's a thunderstorm overhead. Um, You're going to have to forgive me because I need to put my mask on now because of the COVID crisis. So I'm probably going to sound a bit muffled. On here oh, for the neurological hi, hi, hi. assessment. Yes. yes hi, hi. Should we go down? Lovely. Thank you. Just, just, just,
3: just, just you. Thank you. Uh, Angela. Yes. Hi. Hi. Uh, my name is Priya. Hello. Uh, I'm one of the clinical psychologists. I'll be seeing you today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um if I just call you in, we are, we're we're going to be seeing. Uh,
0: that was clinical psychologist Priya Varma, and she was great. She asked me to fill in a form about how I was feeling, then in I went. The test started with copying symbols and then reading out a list of words. To address whole eye, again, enough, already cough. You will climb most excitement. Mosquito decorate fierce plum need vengeance. Gnat, prestigious amphitheatre, lacuna. Iridescent, Liu, Wiley, Aesthetic Equestrian Porpoise, Subtle, Palatable, Homily, Ogre, Liaison, Xenophobia... The list went on with me trying to find non-existent connections like Aesthetic Equestrian Porpoise. Then Priya asked me to say as many words as I could, beginning with a letter she gave. The first letter is F. You can start. Fish, fry, food, fenugreek, feel, field, furlough, face, future, feature, foot, Pharaoh fecund, fraught, It really is harder than you think. I've never been on a TV or radio game show, but I have shouted answers at people who were, and I bet that's what you're doing now. Then we were on to numbers, where Priya showed a series of numbers and you had to work out the sequence. But sometimes it changes with no warning. Uh, One. Two. Mm -hmm. Three. Mm -hmm. It's gone back to one. What could happen now? Two or ten? Ten. Yes. Nine. Mm Eight. It's gone from eight to ten. Up to eight? It's to one. <laughs> Feels like number one. <laughs> and that was it. Test done, and results will be in the post. And then I'll get booked in for the radiotherapy. Well the post has just arrived, and I think this is a letter from Brooks. Yes, it's a neuropsychological score sheet. Oh, God, it's like A-level results day all over again. Verbal memory, 39 out of 56. Nonverbal memory, 70 out of 80. Verbal skills, 65 out of 70. What does it mean? Oh, hang on, here's something I like. Brixton, very superior. <laughs> I've absolutely no idea what Brixton is, but I like the result. Well, let's hope it doesn't change too much after the radiation. Who knows? I might even become smarter. I've heard of X-ray vision. Maybe I can have X-ray recall. So now I'm just waiting for a treatment start date. Well, it's now two days after I got the results, and I've just had a phone call from a lovely lady from the radiotherapy department inviting me for a mask-making appointment and telling me what to expect.
3: So um, what we do is we have um, plastic material that goes very floppy and moldable in hot water. So we place it, it's flat to start with, we place it in a hot water bath um, and that then is taken out and it's placed over your head and shoulders. It allows it to become very uh, flexible and stretchable. So we stretch it down over your head and shoulders. It's got lots of holes in it so you can breathe perfectly normally throughout the process, Um, but it does feel warm as it goes on because it's been in hot water. It Mm -hmm. takes about 10 to 15 minutes to reform itself. If we take it off too soon, it can continue to shrink or it can flop down. So we need it to form a stable bust of your head. Um, And then we'll use that each day to get you back in exactly the same position so that we can recreate the position you were scanned in originally. Mm -hmm. Um, And also all the marks go on it so you don't have to have felt-tip pen marks or tattoos on your head during the radiotherapy treatment. Mm -hmm.
0: Do I have to do anything in advance?
3: Yes. So the only thing I I would say is that when the material is wet, so when it's on the day that it's actually been made, it can stick to things like hair products. So um, you're fine to wash your hair and use normal shampoo and conditioner, but I wouldn't apply any hairsprays, gels or products after it's been dried on that day um, because it can stick to the material. When you're coming for the actual day-to-day treatment, it, it won't. Once the material's dry, it won't stick. It's just when it's wet um out of the water bath um, and the other thing it can stick to is things like um false eyelashes so i um, wouldn't have those on on the day that you come.
0: okay luckily i don't wear those so um that should be fine um okay anything else i need to know
3: um probably um obviously um it will come down over your shoulders, so we don't want you to have like a thick T-shirt or anything behind your neck. But you're fine if you can get a low-backed um, T-shirt or a cami top with thin straps. That's absolutely fine. And you may just want to bring a small blanket with you because our rooms are kept quite cool for the machinery. So you may just want that over your top half while the mass is being made and when you come in for your treatment each, each day.
0: I want to be honest in this podcast and the mask making is another thing I'm not really looking forward to. But I'm trying to be positive so I suppose I can view it as a new experience and also appreciate how lucky I am to have Addenbrookes offering this treatment. Some days I feel ready to take this on and others I really don't want to do it and it feels like a massive inconvenience then that makes me feel really guilty because I'm actually very lucky to have had a brain tumour that is treatable when so many aren't. I know I'm not alone in feeling these mixed emotions. I spoke to the chief executive of the brain tumour charity, Sarah Linsell, who confirmed there's a range of emotions you go through after a diagnosis, sometimes at the same time. I asked her to tell me what some of them are.
4: Gosh, I wish you could just put it in a bottle. That would make life a lot easier because then we could analyze it and understand the process that people go through. In my experience, everyone experiences absolutely every single emotion there can possibly be. And sometimes even at the same time. So you have that moment of being, oh, my God, thank God it's a men Joe," but I'm so lucky and thrilled to bits. But then also furious because your driving license is taken away and that means that that's your freedom gone so a huge amount of resentment and then you realize that your consultant is just an arse so actually you're really angry and now you're being treated at the wrong hospital that has poorer outcomes than anywhere else So that's really not fair followed by but you met this clinical nurse who was just so lovely and kind so you're back and that can all happen in an hour so the, the that sort of roller coaster that people go on is hugely traumatic do you have
0: any suggestions for coping mechanisms again please put them in a bottle one of the
4: hardest things that everybody's different and certainly as a, a as a charity as we go along this journey with people you think you've worked out how to give people the right sport at the right time only to find that that only works with that person and another person needs something completely different and for those people who for example have a tremendous faith actually if they're facing the end of the life that's strangely an easier um, journey for them to go on their emotions appear a little less uh, extreme and they have something that grounds them a set of values that grounds them whereas those who perhaps don't have a faith are can be a little more extreme in their emotions and trying to help them cope and see that you know that there, there is no purpose to this you know shit happens and it's a horrible thing uh is is really really hard for some people that humor and making light of things is an um, amazing coping makers when it starts to come into black humor i struggle with that a bit personally because i find it disrespectful but for others it's what they need and it's those jokes and black humor that that gets it through and for others, it really is the mindfulness, taking each day and seeing the incredible joy that there is in every moment. And I guess those people who, particularly when they've lost somebody to this awful disease, those people who can still see that, just whether it's the, the butterfly or the, the orchid flower, just those, you just think, wow, you've gone through so much and yet you can still see tiny little things that give you a, a sense of optimism and hope. And that, You know, glass half full that you mentioned, a sense of optimism and hope is the best coping mechanism for dealing with all sorts of emotions. I will get through this. I can get through this. We can get through this.
0: The other thought I had was that other family members, of course, can also suffer those emotional reactions. And how difficult is it for the patients themselves to acknowledge other people's emotional reactions rather than the professionals who, of course, can acknowledge the family's problems?
4: So I've been supporting a a guy just recently whose tumour returned after 10 years and his job is humour. That's what he does for a living. Uh, Amazing person. And I find him really funny to talk to, but I have to be really careful how I respond. But actually, his biggest worry on his recent recurrence was his mum. And he actually couldn't process any of his own feelings or emotions because he was so worried about his mum. And how she would feel going through this again and how hard it was for her. And yet there are others that I uh, know and families I've seen where it is all about the person and they have no interest in anybody else because as far as they're concerned, you know, they're going through this awful thing. And all you have to do is watch it. So, huh? you know, you're the lucky ones actually to watch somebody go through this is so and even even if it's a low grade and it's really small and you'll be absolutely fine to know that your loved one is going through uh brain surgery is is really hard and i think we underestimate the impact on on those around us because we're the ones who's got this awful thing but actually it's pretty hard for everyone else and they feel so hopeless and helpless they can't do that internal fight and struggle. And they're so busy thinking, oh, I'll make a casserole and I'll do a marathon for you. All those things. Sarah linsell CEO of the Brain Tumor Charity,
0: and we'll be hearing more from her during the series. That's about it for episode one. I can't promise when the next one will be, but I hope to get into a regular upload routine soon. I hope you'll join me for the next episode, taking you through the (laughs) mask-making. That'll be fun working out where to put the microphone. I also hope this has been an interesting and maybe even helpful insight. If you or anyone you know is going through something similar, please leave a comment. Tumor humor jokes are also very welcome. If you'd like advice or information, The Brain Tumor Charity is a wonderful resource. You can find them at www.thebraintumorcharity.org. My thanks to Ben Carver for mixing and to the band Feeder for use of their track Radiation which was written by Grant Nicholas and produced by Chris Sheldon and Feeder. Till next time, bye for now.